Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back to the Dirt Show. The one issue I'm not going to talk about is the Nothing Burger. In, in in Iowa, what a contrived story! Um, Iowa has you know fewer voters go to caucuses than in our apartment building. Um, nothing turns on the, the caucuses uh, in Iowa, and uh, nothing happened. Everybody knew Trump was going to win overwhelmingly, and everybody knew it would be close between DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Maybe maybe there's a page twenty eight ish uh, article. That uh, you know, DeSantis uh, beat out Haley by uh, a percentage and a half. Uh, not, not. It's not going to impact American history. But you know, sometimes I think that the Iowa caucuses were invented by CNN and um, Fox News and MSNBC to keep the advertisers uh, happy. Uh, but uh, really, really, really nothing burger. Now we move on to the second nothing burger. But uh, I guess that's the way we keep ourselves amused in the way we uh, nominate, we know who's going to be nominated, but the way the political process works in the United States. A much more interesting story, I'm not going to talk about it tonight, but I, I might get to it uh, tomorrow, is these way in which these demonstrations in favor of Hamas are, are going. Uh, now, uh, these pro-Hamas demonstrators, you know, they call themselves pro-Palestinian, nothing could be further from the truth. Nobody's interested in a Palestinian state or a two-state solution or what's really going on in Gaza. These are virulently anti-American um, and anti-Israel uh, demonstrations. Now they're bringing them to Sloan Kittering Hospital, the probably the most prominent cancer hospital in the world, and Mount Sinai Hospital. Now, why would they bring a protest to Sloan Kettering and Mount Sinai Hospital? They have nothing to do with Israel uh, because they have Jewish donors because Jewish people donate to Sloan Kettering. I'm among them. Uh, and uh, Sloan Kettering has saved the lives of people uh, I know and has treated people I know. I'm a great supporter of Sloan Kettering, and I happen to be Jewish. That's a good reason for uh, disturbing medical patients, cancer patients, shouting into the window, saying, you must hear us, you must hear us. And going to Mount Sinai Hospital, which was, as you know, originated as a Jewish hospital when Jewish interns and residents and medical students couldn't get into Columbia. Um, uh, so uh, they started Jewish hospitals like Maimonides and Mount Sinai and some of the others, of course, they're not particularly Jewish these days, uh, but they don't have prohibitions against Jews. But uh, these um, uh, Hamas anti-American protesters have now picked these these hospitals, I think these protests are going to backfire. I sure hope they do. I can't imagine uh, New Yorkers being happy uh, with access to hospitals um, being denied people uh, or access to the train stations or bridges or walking down the street. I mean, these people couldn't give one damn about what's going on 
in, in Gaza. They're not in favor of any kind of a ceasefire. They don't even know the difference between Palestine and Palisades. They wouldn't have any idea what river and what sea they're referring to. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. These are anti-American demonstrations. The core of these demonstrators is what used to be the Communist Party. Now it morphed because nobody is allowed to say communist anymore or anti-communist anymore. It's a dirty word. So they become the Democratic Socialists of America or some other, you know, radical, radical leftist group, which are, you know, the same. Um, their goal is to overthrow the government of the United States. Their goal is to substitute a socialist government, you know, like in um, Venezuela or in Cuba or other places, like in the former Soviet Union. In the United States, they're Stalinists. They don't care about anybody else's right to free speech. Free speech for me, but not for thee. And they've taken it much, much too far. There were cheers at the demonstration the other day when it was announced that Iran had bombed near an American embassy, near the American embassy. The cheers went up. Oh, an American embassy has been bombed. Wow, that's great, said these useful idiots who are cheering for Iran against the United States. Yeah. And, and many of them work in Washington. These useful idiots work in the State Department, some of them, in the White House. And um, some of them are, are trying to take off time from work to protest um, uh, against the government they work for. Um, they have the right to do it, and we have the right to complain about it. So um, uh, that's what's going on today in terms of these these horrible, horrible demonstrations. You know, I support the right of free speech just the way I supported the rights of Nazis to march in Skokie. And I regard these people as equivalent to the Nazis marching through Skokie. So, you know, I'll defend their right to speak and I'll attack what they say on the merits just the way I did it to the Nazis and to the communists back in the 1950s. So I'm consistent, free speech for everybody, but uh, accountability for their free speech for everybody as well. I want to talk about something related to this. You know, it's become a mantra of this administration, the Biden administration. Uh, don't widen the war. There's a war in Gaza. Don't widen it. Don't don't provoke the Houthi. Don't provoke Hezbollah. Uh, don't provoke Iran. Don't widen the war. Let's keep the war narrow. And everybody seems to agree with that. Uh, generally, Republicans and Democrats seem to agree with it. Of course, it's a central focus of the um, current administration. Don't widen the war. Well, I got a different view. Widen the war. It's a good thing to widen the war. The war is too narrow. It shouldn't be focused on the body of the snake, Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Houthis. You've got to get to the head of the snake. The head of the snake is Iran. None of this would be happening in the Middle East today. None of it, if not for the mullahs, in Iran. Iran is in a state of war with the United States. It's been in a state of war the day the mullahs took over and encouraged young students, it's always students, uh, to take over the American embassy and hold Americans hostage. Uh, you'll remember that. Jimmy Carter sending in the helicopters. The helicopters didn't work. Ultimately, when Reagan got into office, the hostages were freed. But from that day on, Iran was in a state of war against the United States. When you capture diplomats and hold them hostages, that is a casus belli, an act of war that would justify a military response by the United States. Since that time, Iran has been responsible for the blowing up of um, uh, American marine barracks in Lebanon. They've been responsible for uh, attacking the Israeli embassy 
um, for attacking a Jewish community center in uh, South America, uh, and of course for uh, attacking Americans um, and attacking Israelis all over the world. So both the United States and Israel have a perfectly legitimate right under international law and under any rules of morality to attack back, to counterattack Iran. Iran has attacked the United States in every possible way except frontally. They've done it through their surrogates, through their proxies. And we know that uh, that Hezbollah is a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran. We know that the Houthis are a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran. They are just Iran in disguise. Um, now, Hamas a little different, but Hamas trained its, its terrorists um, in some of them in Iran and, 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 and some of them using Iranian uh, funds. And so uh, what's going on in the Middle East today is 98% the fault of, of Iran. And no matter what you do to the Houthis, you know, you'll fire a bomb here and there, a couple of pinpricks, a couple of uh, um, attacks, make some headlines, make some people happy. Oh, America's doing something. No, America isn't doing anything. Iran doesn't care. It's laughing all the way to the bank. It's collecting money from oil uh, revenues. It's collecting money from uh, money that was seized and was then given back. Uh, sanctions aren't really being applied. Iran is becoming wealthy and it's becoming a nuclear weapons power. It's going to develop a nuclear arsenal. And it is said what it's going to do with it. The liberal leader of Iran, Rafsanjani, a long time ago, said Israel is a one-bomb state. All we have to do is one bomb in the middle of Tel Aviv and Israel's gone forever. Nobody will ever live there again. It'll be radiation, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't indicate what that would happen to the Palestinian people. When atomic bombs don't separate between Jews and, and Muslims. But um, And Rafsanjani went on to say, if we bomb Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv will retaliate and bomb Tehran and kill 10 million Muslims. But he said the trade-off would be worth it because we'd be rid of the Jewish state forever and Islam would survive the loss of 10 million people. When you have that kind of a leader representing the most moderate part of the uh, Iranian regime, you know you can't trust Iran with a nuclear arsenal, and yet it's going to get it. It's going to get it. So, you know, my point of view is widen the war, broaden the war. There have to be attacks on the head of the snake, and, and the attacks can take multiple forms. Uh, they can take the most extreme form, which I would favor, of regime change, uh, a direct frontal attack on Iran, the goal of which is to liberate the Iranian people who would applaud, who would applaud the United States, Saudi Arabia would applaud the United States. The Emirates would applaud the United States. All the Arab countries in the region would applaud the United States. Certainly the Sunnis would applaud the United States uh, for destroying uh, a Shia a regime that endangers all of the other uh, regimes in, in, in the Middle East and, 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 and whose goal is to sow instability in a regime that needs stability to, to survive and stay wealthier. Remember, they're all wealthy. They all have oil, but um, uh, Saudi Arabia is the wealthiest, Qatar and other countries. Qatar, of course, plays both sides against the middle. It plays footsie with Iran and it plays footsie with the United States. It even occasionally plays toesy, if not full footsie, um, with Israel. Um, I know I've been to 
uh, Qatar twice. I've met with the leaders of Qatar three times, uh, twice in Qatar, once in, um, in, in, in President Trump's, former President Trump's hotel in New Jersey, Baumeister. Um, and so I'm fairly familiar with Qatar's um, uh, attitude toward Iran and toward the United States, play all sides against the middle. But uh, the, the other um, uh, Arab countries in the area uh, hate Iran. Remember, Iran is not an Arab country. It's a, uh, a Persian uh, country. It's so interesting historically. When Israel was first established, its two allies were the two non-Arab countries in the Middle East, Turkey and Iran. Um, now, those are the two greatest enemies of, of Israel, and it's the uh, Sunni nations, the majority Sunni nations, um, the Arab, truly Arab nations, that have um, become, uh, if not allies of Israel, at least willingness to consider alliances with Israel. Um, uh, several of them have peace treaties, and others of them uh, have um, operational um, um, Co coordination uh, with them. And so it's uh, the world changes rather quickly and rather dramatically. So there are three options, uh, four options really, for the United States in regard to Iran. One, a frontal attack, a direct attack. I think that would be uh, the best guarantee of peace in the Middle East, an overthrow of the government. Uh, there, are, there are organizations within Iran, the MEK and others, that are trying to overthrow the government and restore some semblance of at least Middle East democracy. Is that an oxymoron? Maybe. But um, there, democracy is a matter of degree, and it can't be any, any less democratic than it is under the mullahs. So a direct regime change would be ideal and the best thing. It would come with heavy costs, but not doing it comes with heavy costs as well. The second would be a direct attack on Iran's uh, nuclear um, uh, arsenal, uh, which is very close to being completed. Iran is very close to being able to develop a bomb. A friend of mine who's an expert on this said, right now, uh, an atomic bomb, a single bomb could be assembled in, in, in a living room. Um, all the components are there. You don't need big labs or underground facilities to develop one bomb to have, you know, obviously a whole weapon system is quite different. And Iran has been developing a delivery system and a weapon system. And uh, there's no realistic way of preventing Iran from ever, ever getting a nuclear arsenal, but there are ways of postponing um, it for years uh, to come. And remember Iraq, everybody thought that was just a postponement when the Aseric reactor was bombed. They never again got nuclear, nuclear weapons. The same thing was true with Syria. So you never know how permanent the destruction of nuclear facilities could be. And the other virtue of destroying Iran's uh, nuclear program is it would help regime change. Uh, the nuclear program is very, very popular among the supporters of Iran. And if it disappeared, so might some of the support for Iran. So that's, that's two approaches. The third approach is to inflict greater damage than is what's being done today. Today, it's, as I said, occasional pinpricks, um, mostly at the surrogates and occasionally a direct attack either by Israel or the United States on the um, Iranian um, uh, uh, leaders or soldiers. The United States obviously assassinated one, Israel's assassinated one, but those aren't uh, major losses to, to Iran. I'm talking about a significant blow uh, with the threat to continue to rain significant blows 
if Iran continues to export terrorism the way they have been doing for years now through their um, through their uh, proxies and, and, and surrogates. Um, so one of those three, the fourth option is to do what we're doing now, and it's getting us nowhere. And uh, it will just be an invitation to Iran to continue to export uh, terrorism around the world. And, and remember, too, although the direct focus is Israel, Israel is regarded as the little devil. The big devil is the United States. And one of the reasons why Iran is so focused on Israel is because of Israel's uh, alliances with the United States and close proximity to the United States um, uh, morally and, 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 in, and politically and in other ways. So um, uh, it's, it's absolutely essential to widen the war, broaden the war. Uh, and so, you know, next time you hear narrow the war, keep the war narrow, Remember, there's another side to this. I just want to give you one lesson from history to make that as clear as could be. Um, during the run-up to the Second World War, um, many people in France and in England have said, uh, said in the day, let's not widen the conflict. Uh, you know, yeah, Germany is violating the Versailles Treaty, but it's too early. Don't attack them. Uh, I'm just going to read you from what... Uh, Joseph Goebbels, one of the intellectual use that term, leaders of the Nazi movement, said in his diaries, uh, he talked about what the West could have done to prevent Nazism. And I'll just read you part of it. Um, in, in 1933, uh, a French premier ought to have said, and if I had been the French premier, I would have said it, he says, the new Reich Chancellor Hitler is the man who wrote Mein Kampf which says this and that. This man cannot be tolerated in our vicinity. Either he disappears or we march. But we didn't do it. They left us alone and let us slip through the risky zone, the risky zone. And we were able to sail around all the dangerous reefs. And when we were done and well-armed, better than they, and then he says they started the war. Of course, they didn't start the war. Uh, the Nazis started the war. But I worry that someday uh, an Iranian mullah will write something like that and say, you know, they could have stopped us before we developed a nuclear bomb, but they didn't. They allowed us to sail around the reefs and to become so strong that they couldn't attack us. So I really think the lesson of the mistakes made by Great Britain and France in the early 1930s, they had a perfect right to attack Germany. They had violated the Versailles Treaty, which said that Germany could not rearm. Germany was rearming massively, but by 33, 34, the French and the British could have rolled over them. They would have killed 10,000 people. Wow, what a terrible thing. 10,000 people would have died. 50 million people would have been saved. And that's what worries me. And that's why when people talk about, well, 23,000 people have been killed in Gaza. Yeah. But how many will be killed if Hamas and Iran are permitted to continue their road to destruction? So sometimes preemptive or preventive action is warranted. I wrote a whole book about that some years ago called Preemption, A Knife That Cuts Both Ways. That's where I got the quote from, 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 from Goebbels. Um, it's in the book because it's a very important part of the listen, lesson of, of history. So I do think we're making a mistake. I do think that sometimes a wider war is more conducive to peace than a narrower war. And I think in this case, considering a wider war, 
and not keeping the focus on the surrogates and the um, and the proxies, but focusing on the head of the snake might be more conducive to peace and more conducive to stability um, in the Middle East. So at least consider that. Call me a warmonger. No, I'm a peacenik. I just see things long term rather than just short term. I don't believe in putting a Band-Aid on a festering infection. And right now, Iran is a festering infection, really a cancer, that could spread widely and lethally. And the sooner we deal with that infection directly, uh, not by Band-Aids, but by surgery, uh, I think the better we'll all be and the better the world will be and the higher the prospects uh, for peace. So that's my warmongering for today. I think it's peacemongering, but people can have different views on that. I invite your letters and I invite your comments. Okay, let's see what we have in the mailbox today. Okay, so which Democrats are you voting for that have denounced DEI? diversity, equity, and inclusion. Which ones extol the virtue of meritocracy? Can you find one? You got a point. I have not heard of any Democrat, uh, certainly not President Biden, uh, certainly not other members of his cabinet or the leaders that are willing to take on DEI. They're wrong. They're wrong. And the Republicans are right on this one. I wish they were right on enough other issues to persuade me that on balance, I would rather see a Republican president than a Democrat. You're beginning, but, you know, make your case. Keep making your case, but it's not going to be decided on any one issue. It'll be decided on a combination of issues. Uh, Let's face it, your insistence on defending Biden and claiming you want to vote against Republicans in the face of the Biden administration's repeated opposition to our democracy is due to one simple, undeniable fact. You are a stubborn man and have way too much difficulty admitting when you're wrong. Sure, you can admit being wrong from time to time, but very selectively so. I'm a big fan of yours, yet, like many of my friends and family, I just can't see why you were so stubborn. We all see it. Redeem yourself and try on a new suit of humility with respect, sir. Look, I'm not going to deny to you that I'm a stubborn person. I stick to my principles, but I have good reasons for not wanting to vote Republican. Um, I believe in a woman's right to choose abortion at certain stages in the pregnancy. Disagree with me, but that's my view. I believe that gay people have the same right to marry and love each other as heterosexual uh, uh, people. I don't like gay organizations that uh, hate America, hate Israel, um, you know, gays for gays for Hamas. It's like chickens for KFC. I've said that before. Um, gays would be murdered uh, by Hamas if they dared to set foot in in Gaza. But I look at the totality of the circumstances and the totality still inclines me. It's not an overwhelming case, but inclines me against the current Republican Party. I would have had a much harder time if today's Republicans were Eisenhower Republicans or Rockefeller Republicans or even George Bush Republicans. But many of them have moved so far to the right. But it's complicated because Some of those who are most on the right, like evangelical Christians, are also the most supportive of Israel. Thank you for making my life complex. It's very difficult. You know, it's so easy for people who don't support the social issues like I support uh, um, and support Israel. Uh, Yeah, of course, it's become a Republican. That's easy. But if you support these social issues, if you think there is something to the 
concerns about uh, the climate, if you think that reasonable gun control makes some sense, if you believe in separation of church and state and a more moderate Supreme Court, then you have complexity. I love complexity. I'm a complex man, but um, complexity uh, uh, causes uh, turmoil in, in one's soul. Uh, it's so easy if you're just a right winger across the board. But uh, uh, so um, that's, that's, uh, that's so difficult. Uh, and it's so difficult not only for me, but for many uh, stubborn old Democrats who, who would, would be perfectly comfortable voting for a certain type of Republican. Look, Mitt Romney, I voted for Mitt Romney. Uh, I liked him when he was governor of Massachusetts. I voted for several uh, Republican governors of Massachusetts. But we're not talking about Romney's party. We're talking about Donald Trump's party. Okay. I never thought I'd think of you as a hero, but here I am. Well, thank you. If my mother was still alive, I would have thought the letter was from her, but thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, you, yes, Professor, you have repeatedly said you will not vote for it again in November if it is Biden and Trump. If Biden, if Biden, your friend, as you have called him, wins in November with your vote, you'll be complaining about the I Yes, I will be uh, for years to come. I hope you remember your vote for Biden in 2024 as well as you remember you vote for Obama in 2012. I don't regret my vote for Obama in 2012. Uh, yes, I do. No, it's 2012. That's the one I regret. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 2008 that I don't regret. 2012, I regret. I wish I had voted for Romney. I wish I could take that vote back. It wouldn't have had any impact because um, he won the election pretty overwhelmingly. Okay. Our cherished Martin Luther King remarked to the effect that Israel was a beacon of freedom in a free society and a hope for oppressed and stigmatized around the world. Uh, you know, Martin Luther King was, was a remarkable man, a deeply flawed man, personally. There were all kinds of issues uh, in his life, but uh, every great man was flawed. I, you know, can't think of very many. Um, Abraham Lincoln, maybe he didn't live long enough to be flawed. Uh, maybe he was flawed. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he comes closest to being uh, a true, true hero. In a book I wrote, uh, an advice book to young people called Letters to a Young Lawyer, I start by saying don't have heroes because your heroes will always disappoint you. Uh, they almost always have clay feet. Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, was a hero to many, a hero to my parents, uh, my grandparents, uh, but they didn't realize that he played a terrible role in preventing Jews from escaping the Holocaust and coming um, uh, to uh, America. Nelson Mandela was a great man, but uh, early in his life, he engaged in, in terrorism. He also uh, supported the Palestinians. He was not an anti-Semite. Uh, he worked very closely with, uh, with Jewish um, anti-apartheid uh, leaders. Interesting. Somebody put a debate on um, YouTube the other day, my debate with Meyer Kahana, the, the very, very right-wing um, Jewish rabbi. Um, I debated him back, I don't remember, in the, in the 70s or 80s. And it was in the middle of the anti-apartheid movement, and I was a strong supporter of the anti-apartheid movement. And he said in it, uh, yeah, you know, anti-apartheid, that's interesting, but you know who's going to replace the uh, white South African apartheid regime it's going to be a bunch of virulently anti-Israeli and anti-Americans. And of course, that turned out to be right. The ANC was uh, essentially a communist-controlled uh, party. And when it came to power, it turned viciously against the same Jews that had helped to come to 
power and uh, against Israel and is now bringing this horrible uh, blood libel against Israel at the United Nations, claiming that Israel is engaged in uh, apartheid. You know, they ought to know what apartheid means. And genocide, uh, they ought to know what genocide means. They don't. They use it for political purposes. And, and um, uh, you know, it, it, the, the Kahana debate, you know, for Kahana, again, it was easy. He was not a liberal. He didn't care about apartheid. Uh, I care about apartheid. I care about racial equality, and I care about Israel. And and sometimes the two don't go together. You know, I care about, as I said, women's rights and gay rights. I care about the rights of women not to be sexually assaulted and raped. But I'm appalled by Me Too and other radical feminists who won't say a word about the massive evidence of rapes. Uh, undertaken by Hamas as part of their policy. These same women who say, believe all women, believe all women, don't ever question, don't ever doubt. An accusation is the equivalent of guilt. But when it comes to overwhelming evidence of Hamas having raped, no, we haven't seen the evidence. Maybe it's fake. Maybe it's made up. Maybe it's not true. You know, that incredible double standard that we see so much from the hard left today is enough to make even a liberal like me wonder about my side. And so those of you who are criticizing me, keep criticizing me. You know, maybe it'll have an impact someday. I, I don't know. In the meantime, I'm an ambivalent, ambivalent and concerned um, a supporter of the current administration who I plan to vote for. But um I have deep concerns about them as I would about um, their opponents. Uh, so we'll continue this conversation. Maybe you'll persuade me. See you tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.